Paul's plans were delayed. And so he gets, because he gets beat up in one city, they take another city, he gets beat up there, and they're like, hey, dude, you gotta get to Athens. So he goes to Athens, and he's stuck in Athens, he knows nobody. And so he's waiting for his buds to come and kind of rescue him or join him in the next part of the mission. And we talked about that last week. And so verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed, and we talked about this last week, he wasn't distressed simply because he, not because he missed his flight or because he was stuck there, but he was distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so we spent most of last week talking about what idols are, what a false god is, and what an idol is the physical representation of a false god and why people worship those. And then we broke into small groups and continued to talk about that a little bit. And I just want to ask you guys again, what was he distressed about? Uh, idols. idols. He's distressed because the city is full of idols. So here, I just want to ask you guys this again. Are you distressed? Well, let me just stop there. Was this week a stressful week? Yes. Okay. yes. It doesn't take very much to get stressed out. Okay, so I just want you to think, are you, are you more stressed about the situations in your life or because of the idols in the world around you? And we talk about what an idol is. Anything that we worship, anything that we believe that we need more than God himself. So here's, here's what I want you to think. Are you distressed about the worship of stuff in this world and in your, maybe your house, or in your, in your circles of community, or in your workplace, or in your family? Are you distressed? Are you bothered by the, by the fact that there are people worshiping things in their lives that they consider to be greater than the king of all creation? Jesus paid with his blood for the right to every person's life on this planet. But because he's a gentle king, he doesn't push, he doesn't demand, he doesn't coerce, he just invites. Yeah. And because he invites, because he's not coercive, people have a choice. And so he waits and waits and waits. But Jesus hasn't gotten what he paid for. And I just want you to think about that. Does that bother you? Does it bother you that Jesus didn't get what he paid for? Every one of you, Who's here tonight? Are here tonight because God is calling you to become a man of God or a woman of God? I want you to think. Don't answer this out loud. But just think: Am I more of a man of God or a woman of God than I was 365 days ago at this time? And you think, well, how do I measure that? Well, there's there's some ways that we could measure that. Okay? That you could do a self-evaluation. But one of the ways that we measure our spiritual growth is this. How bothered are we that Jesus doesn't get the worship that he deserves? If you think, I don't care, my guess is you probably aren't growing spiritually. Are you bothered that Jesus, because as you grow in Christ, as you grow as a man of God, as a woman of God, you're going to be more and more bothered by, oh my goodness, this world is his, and he doesn't get what he deserves. What did you guys think about Moses? you remember when Moses comes down the mountain? Moses comes down the mountain. He's got the Ten Commandments. He's met with God. This is the most historic day in history up to that point. 
comes up out. He's got the commands of God written on tablets of stone. You know what he hears? There's a party happening. It's more than a party. It's a worship service. He comes around the corner and he sees this idol that the Jews have made. And he freaks out. You ever seen your mom mad? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Got a lot of yeses there. Sometimes she was mad for the right reason. Sometimes she wasn't. But Moses is mad with holy, righteous anger because he knows that the future of this planet depends on the Jewish people at that time. And the future of the Jewish people depended on whether they saw God, if they, that they knew God as he really was. Can you imagine Moses coming down from the mountain and he said, oh, come on, I can't be judgmental. I mean, people do what they want to do. I mean, we've got to be tolerant. So, nothing I can do. No way. No way. No way. He's passionate about giving God what God deserves. So if you're going spiritually, you're going to be like Moses. You're going to be like Paul in Athens. You're going to be like Jesus. There's a verse in Psalm 119, verse 139. And I just want you to say this with me. Psalm 119, verse, oh, sorry, Psalm 119, verse 136. The psalmist, the, if you guys know what Psalm 119 is about, it's about the love for the Word of God. Guys, if you don't know what else to read in the Bible, you can read Psalm 119 for the next 365 days and you won't exhaust what's, what's able to be worked there. Psalm 119, verse 136, this is what it says. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Guys, would you just would you say that with me? Streams of tears flow from my eyes because your law is not obeyed. I just want you to think, is that true for you? Are you bothered by the fact that there are people out there who are worshiping things that will destroy their lives? Here's what, here's what I want you guys to think about. If you see people, people who Jesus died for, and with their time and money and energy, they're worshiping things that will never satisfy them. And it doesn't bother you? Because listen to me. If that doesn't bother you, I want to ask you, not right now, but I want to ask you to get on your knees and say, oh, God, change my heart. Yeah. Would you change my heart? Would you break my heart with the things that break your heart? Amen. You know why? Because God cares about those people. If you don't care, ask God to teach you to care. At the same time, if you see people, people who Jesus died for, with all their time and all their money, and all their energy, worshiping things that won't satisfy. And you do care, and it does bother you. You think, oh, that shouldn't be. But out of fear of what those people might think of you, you say, I can't do anything about it. Then I want to ask you guys, I'm speaking to you, my friends at the cornerstone. Then you do the same thing. You get on your knees and say, can we change my heart? Would you change my heart and teach me to love you and by loving you to hate 
the idols of this world so much, would you change my heart so that I'm willing to speak that to people who I love? But teach me, oh God, to speak in gentleness the truth of your word. If you ask for that, he's going to change your heart. He gonna, I mean, if you're not going to change your heart. He's not going to force anyone. But if you're growing, you will learn, like Paul, to be distressed at the, at the muck in the world around you. Because we can't, let's not, let's not ever, for the sake of tolerance, or what the world calls love, because what the world says is love, they interpret me tolerance, letting people do what they want to do. But let's never, you people have got here at the cornerstone, never for the sake of tolerance or what the world calls love or fear of what somebody might think of us, fail to respond to the desperate cry of people who are worshiping something else they got around us. Please. We can't think. You guys, listen to me. We cannot think. Their opinion, their opinion is just as valid as mine. Because here's what I want to say. It's not your opinion. We're not basing our lives on somebody's opinion. We're basing our lives and, and risking our future on the foundation of the words of God written in this book that are able to change and save our lives. Yeah. That's what we're basing our lives on. It's not a matter of your opinion. In fact, if it's just a matter of my opinion, there's things that I would, if it was my opinion, there's some, some things I would have written different in the Bible. It's not about your opinion. It's about the truth of God. Yeah. Okay. So what do you do? As you see idols being worshipped in the world around you, what do you do? But here's what I want us to learn. I want us to learn from Paul. What did he do? Verse 17. So, because he's bothered, so he reasoned. I think you guys can underline that. So he reasoned. What do you do? You reason. You use your reason. Here's my question for you regarding that. Can you guys do that? Use your reason. Can you use reason, logic, to share with people the truth of Jesus? And guess what I'm not saying? I'm not saying be argumentative. Yeah. Don't argue. Yeah. Don't dispute. You help people think. The Bible makes sense if the Holy Spirit is involved in somebody's life. It won't make any sense. If the Holy Spirit is not involved, you can talk to people till you're blue in the face, and they will not get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen times, at one time here at the Cornerstone, the most powerful demonstration of Holy Spirit work in a guy's life happened, I don't know, about a year and a half ago. There was a guy here, one of our Muslim friends came here and became a serious follower of Jesus. He invited his friend to come. That friend would come. The first time I met him, he's like, I got some questions for you. So, shoot, man, I'll answer your questions. He starts asking a couple questions. I'm like, oh, that's a great question. Let me explain to you. He couldn't get it. It was like trying to explain music to my cat. He couldn't get it. 
And I think I, I, my, my way of doing ministry has changed, guys. So he'd come, he, every Friday we'd do burgers. He'd come, he'd argue. He'd come here all the Friday's like, brother, come, enjoy the coffee, enjoy the burgers. If you have any questions, I'll answer. But I don't think you're asking for an answer. All you want to do is argue. Yeah. And so he, he said, okay, I won't argue anymore. The next week, we're in here worshiping. After lunch, we, you know, Aaron and Lita's worship. And I'm standing at that pool. And I look out here, and he's out there on the swing with Will Preby. You guys know Will Preby? <laughs> and they're waving their arms, and he's all worked up. And I thought, no more. No more. So I go out on the porch, and it was like the Holy Spirit. You know, there's times where you work in the power of the Holy Spirit. I walked out, I walked to the porch, and he's sitting there, and I said, in the name of Jesus, you are free from all of the lies that the devil has put in your mind. You are free in the name of Jesus. By the power that was shed, the, by the power of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross, you are free. That's what I said. All word for word. Although maybe in a different order. And this guy who had, for a year, had argued and argued and argued and argued. He looked like Ian when he gets caught with the cookies. <laughs> I'll see you later. So he texts me during the funeral. Of course, I'm not, you know, I, I answer him back. He, he texts me and says, uh, I won't come to the course anymore. I said, that's not the point. We want you. Yeah. You are welcome. The next Friday comes. He would come every Friday for a year. He's not here. So I text him. Brother, come get a burger. About three and a half minutes later, he was here. He never, in the next nine months before he went back to his home country, he never argued here again. And I thought, oh my goodness. He's, something happened in, a, in the spiritual realm when I spoke in power. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk, but of power. Yeah. You guys with me? Now, I, I, I'm not advising you out there to do that kind of evangelism. But I just want you to understand that people who are, who are in my office talking to me about, about arguing, they're arguing with me, they have been taken captive by the devil to believe things that are not true. And they cannot get free of the, of the lies in their mind unless something supernatural happens in their heart. So please don't argue with people about spiritual matters. But again, reason with them. And as you're reasoning, you pray. You pray for Holy Spirit power to set them free. So guys, can you reason? Yes. Really? I want you guys to think about it. Are you able? Yes. I want you to say, say yes, yes. Okay. Talk about this a little bit. Some of you, yes. Some of you, no. So you, in order to be able to reason with people, you've got to understand where they're coming from. You have to understand the Word of God. If they don't believe in the Word of God, you've got to understand a little bit about their culture. But here, guys, I want, us to understand, I want us to see how Paul does this, okay? So I'm going to write some words up here, and, uh, and we're going to go through this together. So, so why? Let's answer these questions. Why? Where? Um, when? How? How? Um, what it was. Um, and, oh, we Okay, we'll put it in here. 
Boom. Okay, I want you guys to see what Paul does, okay? So, uh, so why? Let's talk about why. Why does Paul, Paul's about to give an, an, an incredible sermon here. Why does he do it? He's distressed. Love? He's, he's distressed because, he's distressed because he cares about those people. Yes. Yeah, it's love. His motivation is love. Yes, if you are talking with anybody about Jesus, your motivation is anything less than love, then talk to them about football or something else. Yeah. I mean, guys, they're just, they're just, they're, they'll see right through you. Yeah. Okay, where does he do this? I want you guys to see where he does it. Okay, synagogue, and in the synagogue, who is he talking to? Jews and God. Jews and Jews and God-fearing people. In other words, he's talking to people. Jews and God-fearing, fearing, I'm trying to write Greeks. Greeks. Okay. Okay, the point is, he's in the synagogue, he's using Old Testament, Holy Scriptures as a basis for communicating with them. But who else is he communicating with? Sorry, don't read my writing. Just imagine. Um, okay. Okay, so he, so some, some, these are the party guys and the geeks. Party guys and geeks, okay? <laughs> That's the guy who the so philosopher. And where does he do that? Um, in the marketplace. In the marketplace, at Walmart. Yeah. At Walmart and, and Jack in the Box. <laughs> okay. Okay. And when does he do it? Every day. He does it every day. Okay, here, here's what I want you guys to see. Everywhere he goes, he's, he's reasoning with people. He's talking with people. He's doing it not on Friday afternoons for an hour and a half during evangelism time. He's doing it every day. Okay? Okay, let's talk about how he does it. This is, this is really where we're going the last few minutes that we have to get. So, so how does he do it? I want you guys to catch this. He can't use the scriptures, right? With, with, with a lot of these people, because they don't believe the scriptures. He can use the scriptures with these people. We cannot use the scriptures with the party guys and the geeks. So, let's look at verse 18. A group of Epicurean Stoic philosophers, that's, that's the party guys and the, geek, and the geeks, they begin to dispute with him. So they start arguing with him. Some of them asked, what's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for God's but rather than being upset about it, they're kind of interested. They're kind of intrigued. They said this because Paul was preaching. This verse, uh, what verse is this? Verse 18. Because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Okay, the Areopagus is Greek for talk radio. Okay? <laughs> or cool. I mean, this is a place where everybody gets together and, and talks about ideas. Yak, 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 okay? So they bring him to the area up, I guess, where they said to him, may we know what this teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. And then Luke adds in verse 21, he gives an explanation, all the Athenians and, and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So I want you guys to see how Paul does his reasoning, okay? Paul, verse 22, Paul then stood up in the Areopagus. For you guys, that's the equivalent of your classroom or your workplace. 
is surrounded by what you guys would call humanism or postmodern opinion. And he says, look what he says. Okay, so this is where we're going to talk about strategy, how he does it. Okay, he says, man of Athens, he gets this opportunity. They give him 10 minutes to speak. I don't know how long they give him. I don't think I'll stop watching what they say. So he says, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now here's what, here's what I want you guys to see, guys. I want us to, I want us to live this way. I want us to think about when, when you're sharing with your professor or your coworker or your classmate, and they give you an opportunity to share. Look for some common ground. Give them a compliment. Paul's giving them a compliment. He's like, dudes, you guys are religious people. They hear that as a compliment. He's looking for comfort. He doesn't blast them with much scripture. Yeah. He doesn't t- show the Ten Commandments. He gives them a compliment where they're at. Okay. Verse 23. Then he goes on. For I walk around and look carefully at the objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. So the first thing that he does is he looks for some common ground. The second thing that he does is he poses a question or a problem. He may, he's starting to get him to think. You guys see this? He's like, dude, you guys are religious. But hey, I got a question for you. Notice over here, there's an altar, and the inscription says, it's for God, you guys don't know? He yes. I mean, obviously, there's a big crowd, so he's not asking them, but he's making them think. So, guys, as you're talking with people here who need Jesus, who don't care one bit about what the Bible says, step two, first step is you get some common ground. Step two, I just ask them a little bit about what they what they're what they're believing. Okay? Third thing he does is he uses their logic to help them think through this, to, to think through the answer that he's, uh, to the question that he's asking. Are you guys with me? Yes. Yeah. Verse 24, he says, he's using their logic. He's using what they know to be true. He's not, he's not teaching anything new at this point. Verse 24, the God who made every, the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by hands. Now he's using their logic. He's like, you guys know that this, that this earth was created not all people at the time believed that, but most did. Even these Athenian people, it's like, okay, this world was created. There was something bigger than nature that made this world. Whatever that thing is, doesn't need you to make a temple. And they're going, oh, that makes sense. Never thought about that before. Okay? Verse 25. He uses a little bit more logic. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because... And your Bible, circle that word because, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. You see the logic? Mm-hmm. He's like, hey guys, he gives you the breath you breathe. And you think that putting those little offerings at the altar is something that he needs? Think through this, guys. This is what he's making him do. Think through it. Verse 26, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. He's speaking truth, but he's not speaking truth that's so far that's causing them to think that he's 
whacked out. Mm -hmm. he's, he's still within the bounds of what they can accept. From one man, he made every nation of man that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Verse 27. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. And here's what he does. He has this brilliant thing I want you guys to do when you're, when you're when speaking to people who don't believe the Bible is true. He uses their words. He uses what they feel is important. Verse 28, he quotes one of their, their poets, one of their prophets. For in him we live and move and have our being. That comes right out of their poetry. As some of your own prophets have said, we are talking, he's, he's taking their truth and showing that all truth is God's truth. Guys, if you're talking with people from other backgrounds, whether they're Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or Sikh or atheist or church agnostics, speak their language. Use what they know to be true to help them think through the truth. Guys, I want you guys to think about this. If, if you've talked with Muslim people or Buddhist people or Hindu people, their religions are not all wrong. Now, just listen to me. Most of what they believe is good. Should be nice to people. We should honor the, the deity, whatever that deity is. We should do good. This is, this is what they believe. They're, well, of course, I'm not saying that they believe everything that needs to be believed. I'm saying that most of what they're teaching, read, the, read their books. It's not, it's, it's not 100% contrary to the Bible. So you take what, I mean, when I'm in Japan, the more I know about Japanese religion, the easier it is for me to explain the gospel. And sometimes it starts with a story as simple as Momotaro. Does anybody know Momotaro? You do, thank you. Yeah, those people love it. Guys, you take this, the kids' stories, Momotaro, and you say, do you realize that this is about Jesus? Yeah. It's about Jesus. They just don't know. So guys, what, here, here's what Paul does. He takes their, what, what other people might have considered pagan writings, and he says, no, no, no. Well, their writings point to the one true God. Guys, do the same. And don't treat people from other religious groups like they're all bad. Most of what they're following is an attempt to do good. Because deep in their hearts, they want to do good. Because they have heard voice God. And I'm going to show you guys something that is really cool here in a second. Okay. Four things. You guys get that? So the first thing that Paul does is he looks for common ground. The second thing, he poses a question or a problem. He uses their logic. Fourth thing that he does is he, now he presents the proof of the gospel in a way that they can understand. Verse 29. Therefore, circle that, underline that. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, it's like, okay, now you guys got that. We're in agreement, right? Now, because that's true, don't think that your idols are God. We should not think, look at this in verse 29, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. In other words, we're his offspring. The creator is greater than us. So when we create something, obviously we're greater than that thing. So why worship, why worship that thing? That's his point. And they're like, oh, man, this guy's not too stupid. I, 
Verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now, now is where he hits them with, with truth. And this would be bothersome had he not made them think at this point. So he hits them with the truth and he says three things. He says, now God commands all people everywhere to repent. Who's supposed to repent? Everybody. Everybody is to repent. If anybody doesn't say, I'm wrong, I'm a sinner, I've messed up, they can't come to God. Two things that everybody in the world knows. Everybody knows that we should be good, that there's a level of goodness we should live by. Everybody also knows that we're, that we have met. Not one of us has lived up to that level. The gap between what we should be and what we really are is what the Bible calls sin. What the Bible says, what Paul is saying here, is that we need to repent. We, repentance is saying, God, I should be this, I'm this, I'm sorry. That's the gospel. And, and you know what? When I've shared that with people from all kinds of religions, they've never said, that's not true. They all say, in fact, last night, I shared it with a girl from another country who's in my office, and she said, I understand. And all that gap between what we should be and what we really are has been paid for by Jesus, and we are forgiven, Amen. 100%. Amen. So Paul says, everybody needs to repent. He says something else. He says, we need to repent because there's a day coming that's called Judgment Day when the King of the Universe comes and he says, okay, pay up. That's what he says. A day has been set when he will judge the world with justice. Not any sham in some court, but a real justice by the man who he's appointed. Who's the man he's appointed? Who's the man who's going to judge? Are you sleeping? It's Jesus. Who else would be? Steve? It's not Steve. Okay, it's Jesus. Jesus is the man who God has appointed to judge this world. And he does it all in love and says, I paid for all your sins. You are free. So he, so he tells three things, right? You need to repent, because judgment's coming. And the third thing he says is the proof that that man will judge the world is that he died and he came to life. He conquered death. And everybody had heard about this. This is not some secret thing. The world was talking about it. Tens of thousands of people were coming to Jesus because they knew what had happened. Fifth thing I want you guys to get. Some are going to respond, and some are not. Verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, Ah, we're going to hear about the subject again. So verse 33. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Okay. Some will believe, some won't. How successful, thank you guys, how successful was Paul's work in Athens? He ended, up, he ended up in Athens, like you ended up in the Chicago airport, both of you? He ended up in Athens by accident, but got out of plane. He gets an opportunity to preach to some important people there, and people are like, that's cool. Whatever you like, it's good. And it looks like not much happens. A couple people believe. And the next verse says, he leaves for Athens. And you think, that's it? What about the church there? What about what he did in all those cities? What about, what about the letter in the New Testament? Uh, from Paul, apostle of Christ, to the church in Athens. You don't find it. 
Right? Right. And you think, come on. you got to be better than that. But there's more of the story that Luke doesn't conclude because after Luke finished chapter 28 of the book of Acts, okay, you guys want to know what it is? You guys want to know what happens? Yes. There's two people named here who were persuaded by Paul's logic. By Paul's logic. Now, why did they accept what Paul said when so many people did? You guys want to know? Yes. 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 Oh, you guys want to know? Because it's, it's a wonderful story. The historian Eusebius, does anybody know who Eusebius is? Yeah, you do. Roger, Roger knows about this stuff. <laughs> historian Eusebius wrote what happened. Here's what it is. 20 years before Paul's preaching his 10-minute sermon in Athens, there is a young boy named Dionysius living in Egypt. And one Friday afternoon, at noon, it gets dark. And it's an alarm. But he senses there's some spiritual meaning to all this, but he doesn't know where it is. He doesn't know where it is. He goes to Athens, moves to Athens for work, and he becomes a part of this Areopagite group. And one day, Paul comes in and tells him this sermon. And he starts to put two and two together and realizes that the darkness he'd seen 20 years earlier was a darkness three hours the day that Jesus died. And he goes, that's it. This is real. And he travels to Jerusalem and meets Jesus' mother Mary before she dies. Actually, actually, he actually attends her funeral. And he's convinced that Jesus is the and he becomes the bishop, the main pastor at the church in Corinth. Wow. Is that cool or what? So yeah, cool. And one of the other writings says that this woman is actually his wife. Now, that's not for sure, but there's one of the writings that says that. And here's the point. Every person you meet is like Dionysius. Every person that you meet has had some experience in their past that has been the Holy Spirit of God calling them. And you show up like Paul does. And you get the opportunity tomorrow or the next day to say, hey, guess what? You know why you had that dream? You know why you were in that place? You know why that happened to you? Because Jesus has a plan for your life. Yes, to me, this is encouraging. I, I actually had, I had never come across that story. I've, actually, I have read all of Eusebius, but I never realized, I never paid attention to the fact that the guy in the story in Eusebius was the guy here in Athens. And when I realized that, guys, it blessed me. Here's what, here's what I, I want you guys to think about in regards to Dionysus. Discipleship matters more than numbers. We have, we have fewer numbers in this room right now on Thursday night that I've had since I started doing college ministry. And there's something in my heart that's bothered by that. And when I read this today, I thought, no. I cannot measure the success of what I'm doing based on how many people show up here on Thursday night during COVID season. 
because I've spent 33 years of my life doing ministry. I've spent so much time telling the story of Jesus to so many people again and again. Truthfully, guys, I'd love to be like Greg Laurie or Billy Graham. I'd love to have the opportunity to see a thousand people come to Jesus through me. I haven't seen that yet. I've talked about Jesus to lots of people. I've preached about Jesus in lots of countries. Last year in the Philippines, I baptized in one morning 33 people from my village. So I've had those opportunities. But you know what? I haven't seen in my ministry what I've longed to see. And as I was reading this today, I thought, the Lord is speaking to me about this. Because, you know, what's more important than 10,000 people coming to Jesus because of me? It's that. If I can live my life in such a way that I convince one, two, or three of you to give your lives for this cause, and you convince one, or two, or three other people to give their lives for this cause, Jesus will be glory. Amen. And the kingdom of Jesus will be built. Yes. Jesus is at work here. Jesus is at work in my life. Jesus is at work in your life. He is building his kingdom. Not thousands of times. This is what Gary's been talking about recently on Sunday mornings. But one or two or three at a time. You guys join me in this. And here's, here's just what I want to invite you guys to. Join me in this. Yeah. Join me in discipling other people. Yeah. Join me in learning how to reason with people that don't know. Join me in walking across the campus. And as I do, I'm thinking... Could that guy be like Dionysius? Could that guy be like Dionysius? And I, I, I do that every time I'm across campus. I'm thinking, Lord, could that be the person? Could that be the person? And if I look at you guys, I think I've thought about every one of you. I, I'm thinking, who can take my job? Who can I pass this on to? Who can carry on with one or two or three people this message of Jesus and build this kingdom? I'm begging you guys to own this with me. This is not about... Steve is the pastor doing the work. This is about us as the community of God's people building his kingdom. And if you don't know where to start, is how many of you guys are doing the, the daily Bible study? Okay, some of you guys are doing it. If you're not doing the daily Bible study, I want to ask you guys to do it. And don't just do it alone. And I know some of you guys have said to me, ah, oh, you know, I, 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 I go back and forth and I kind of do my own thing. I'm asking you to get in the program that we have. It's not perfect. But it develops accountability, and you learn all kinds of, of, of truth about the Bible by going through this in about five or ten minutes a day. So um, if, if you haven't heard about that, can, actually, Joel, can you, can you just hold that box up there? Um, yeah, just, just, hold, just hold one of them. Just pick up one of those uh, devotionals. Okay. That's month long right there, okay? Yeah, good job with that, man. <laughs> Okay, if, how, many of you guys, how many of you guys are available to senpai people that you've been through some of this and you're ready? And, okay, so see those people with your hands raised? If you're like, yeah, I want, I'd like to be a part of what Steve's talking about, I don't know what it is. And those people who just raise their hands, if you'll um, talk with them, and they'll, they'll get you through that. And that'll be good. Okay, guys, let's stand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, with the things that we talked about tonight be, be things that are powerfully stuck in our hearts, that we won't forget 
the truth of how you change people's lives. That it would you help every person here at the Cornerstone to grow in you. That we would continue to hate sin in our lives and the world around us. And at the same time, that we would be gentle, kind, and loving to people who are stuck in sin. Would you use the people of this meeting, the people who are here tonight, to build your kingdom? Would you continue to change your lives? Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.